Got me. All right. So um, today, though, so let's get into the word. So today we're going to be closing down uh, a series that we've been studying all of December. It's been called Tough Questions. There are different questions throughout the Bible that we see whether people were asking of Jesus or or we see Jesus asking others one such thing. And, 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 and the reason why we're studying this is to actually come to a place of trying to understand who is Jesus. Because so many people, we know a lot of facts about him, but one of the things that I wanted in the goal through this series was to actually see how other people took him as it came. So one of the, the first story that we had was they were actually in a storm. And the, 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 they were in the middle of a, in the, in, in a storm, in a boat, in the middle of the water, and um, they thought they were going to die. They said, Jesus, don't you care? He's sleeping. Don't you care? We're going to die. Uh, Jesus wakes up. He speaks uh, to the wind and the waves, and the storm stops. And the disciples couldn't believe it. They said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, one of the things that we keep repeating every single week is this. You cannot operate beyond your measure of faith. In other words, what you believe about God, you cannot operate in faith beyond what you believe about God. The disciples had seen him cause the blind to see, right? They saw him caused a shriveled hand to straighten. They saw him, the, the, the lame walk. They, they saw him clean a leper. They saw these, these miraculous miracles, but they were still, they didn't know that he could command wind and waves. Well then, the next story we looked at was a little bit, happened a little bit further on in the ministry, and that was in Jesus' ministry, and that was raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and so they had seen now that, hey, he can control wind and waves, and everyone said the same thing to Jesus. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. Right? If you were here. So they knew, hey, you could heal him. You could do this, but now he's dead. It's too late. And so Jesus, I loved how Jesus answered to, 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 to Martha. He said, Martha, he will rise again. And she goes, oh, yes, I know at the end of the day, at the end when everyone's resurrected. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what's so amazing about how Jesus said that, he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And she goes, well, yes, I believe this. But then just a few moments later, he says, take me to the tomb. He says, now roll away the stone. And they're like, hold on. She's the first person. He said, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. It's going to smell really bad. Do not do that. And Jesus looks right at her and he goes, didn't I say to believe see a lot of times we american christians today in this time we have a habit of worshiping or singing songs to a historical figure named jesus and we know all the things that he did in the past we know the things that he can do but today the goal of what we're looking at today is all is talking about what he wants to do in us so in Luke chapter 1, the tough question today is actually in the story of, of the birth of Christ, when Mary says, how can this be? She asks a very tough question. So 
I want to say, so this is the, the Mary, she, she asked this question, how can this be? How can a virgin have a child? That's what this tough question is. But before we get there, I want to bring this up. How do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? Because throughout the entire Gospels, Jesus is constantly coming back and he's saying, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am the gate, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, and, and he keeps making all of these statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. He keeps making all of these statements about who he is. And, here's the, and here, maybe the best question of all this whole month is, how do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? How do we know that he is the Messiah? How do we know that he is the Son of God? And, and, and Because if we can't answer that question, then, then we really are standing on what? Hope. But see, he says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, right? These three. So if I only have hope, there's a big thing missing in my life, and that's faith. Faith is what I know about God. So how do I, how do I know that Jesus is who he says he is? And the, and the easiest way to answer this question is one way. Through fulfilled scripture. Fulfilled prophecy means that somebody said before Jesus was ever born something about his birth. In the, in the, in the book of Matthew... I mean, Micah, the, the book of Micah, they actually brought out the, the fact that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Somebody, a prophet, came through, known as a prophet, so it would have been some prophet who came along the way and said, listen, I know something about the coming Messiah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So here's the deal. If he was born anywhere else but Bethlehem, Jesus would not have been who he said he was. So here's what's interesting, and I, and I did a little bit of research for you, just a little bit. Jesus fulfilled over 55 prophecies concerning him. 55 different prophecies just about Jesus. 27 were fulfilled in one day. What's the likelihood? My question to you is, what's the likelihood of, of a person predicting the exact city in which the birth of a future king would be what's what's the probability what, what's what's the calculation here and and the reason why i'm asking is there's actually a a university that actually went through westmont college spent two years with their students working on calculating the probability of jesus fulfilling scripture so in this one this one prophecy that he, that, that what's the chances of a person correctly predicting the city of a great future king? One out of 300,000. Folks, that's one prophecy. One of the 55. One. So then that school, and his name is, his name was Peter Stoner, who put on this, this deal, and I quote this a lot because it's so powerful. Peter Stoner and his students then began to say, let's pick eight prophecies out of what Jesus would fulfill. One of them was that he would ride a, a, a colt or a donkey into Jerusalem. We know that as the triumphant entry. Um, that his, his clothing would have been ripped off of him and sold. That was another prophecy that he was going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. was another one that he was going to be beaten publicly and humiliated. Um, and so what ends up, and I don't remember all eight of them off the top of my head, but, but the thing was is that they began, and half of these eight prophecies that they were using were actually fulfilled by the enemy. 
The one who, Jesus had no control over how many pieces of silver he was going to be betrayed for. He had no power or control whether they were going to beat him or not, or whether he was going to be hung on a tree or not, or whether they were going to strip his clothes and auction them off while he's on. Can you imagine that? Getting your clothes ripped off while you're hanging on a cross and then them auctioning it off in front of you. He had no control over that either. These eight prophecies, they came up with the number that the, the likelihood of this happening was one out of 10 to the 17th power. 17 zeros after 10. 17 zeros. 17. So when you start thinking about one person predicting just a, 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 a city, they also had to predict the exact bloodline that he was being, in the blood of David. They would, they would the, the exact nature that was a virgin birth. If I was going to try to pull a hoax over people's eyes, if I was going to try to create a false religion or a cult, I would not do something impossible. I wouldn't predict a virgin birth. Try pulling that one off. I mean, right? I mean, if I was going to create some lie, I would not do something that was impossible to pull off. What kind of king he would be called, what people would name him, what he would be called by people, the son of man, uh, P- prince of peace, I mean, Emmanuel, all of these things that Jesus was called, other people. This, you, it took prophets coming in and said, this is how you're going to know that the Son of God, when the Messiah shows up, this is how you're going to know. And it was all through prophecy. See, here's the reason why I will never be convinced other, anything other than this. Jesus is exactly who he said he is because he fulfilled all the prophecies proving it. Proving. Not suggesting, not like, hey, he was a good dude. This was a man who, by the very nature of how he was born, where he was born, what he was called, the, the prophecies that surrounded his death and resurrection, every single one of them. This is how we know. This is beyond hope. This is a knowledge. This is a, a faith where I can stand on it no matter what comes along. I know it. So today's passage comes from the book of Luke. Chapter 1, this is the account where uh, we're going to be focusing on Mary today. And so, in the sixth month, good, I I was making sure that it was high enough because I knew I had to keep my slides towards the top. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Just like I said just a few moments ago about these prophecies, one of the prophecies in the Old Testament was that he would be called a Nazarene. One of the prophecies in the book of Isaiah was that he was going to be a virgin birth. Another one that he was a descendant of David. But I want to focus on the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What does it mean to be highly favored? I mean, this isn't just saying, hey, you're kind of favored. You have a little bit of favor. This is, you're highly favored. What I want to show you about this, this word 
This word in Greek for favored is karatu. It's where we get the word, it, it, this is a, a Greek subword to the word charis. Charis is where we get the word grace. When we are, when you're reading in the Bible in the New Testament, you see the word grace. In Greek, it's charis. Charis is related and it's the root word of karatu. So when we're talking about God's favor, we're talking about grace. Karatu in the Greek means this, to give someone favor or kindness. To give God, to, God gives kindness, right? This word is used for, we use the word grace. And here's one of the things is we often define grace as an unearned, undeserved favor of God. Don't we not? Do we not? Right? Unearned, undeserved. That's what grace is. You didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it. That's what salvation is. We talked about salvation last week, and we talked about how, how it is, it's a gift from God. God is the one, he did the work. He's the one giving it to us. Grace, unearned, undeserved. Now, what makes this also a little interesting that I wanted to make sure that I brought out is this. When we're dealing with the word karatu or grace, it, in Greek, it's, a, it's perfect passive participle. Now, when I went to, um, when I was, when I took English in school, I wished I would have paid a lot more attention because now as a, as a pastor and you're studying scriptures, um, understanding Greek grammar helps us understand so much more about scripture. And in English, I was terrible at English in school. I wished I would have really, I wished I would have worked a lot harder at understanding grammar because uh, I wouldn't have had to work so hard at college. The college level of getting it that was tough tough for me and so now as I go back I'm like this is amazing perfect tense when something's a perfect tense we don't use this we don't see this a lot and 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 so when you see it it's something special perfect tense means something's complete it also is not just something that's complete past tense being completed but it also means that there's something continuously going so something happened in the past God gave me past tense this grace but this grace is continuing on. It didn't stop. Perfect tense is a complete past action with continuing results. When God gives you grace, it's not that he just peppered a little grace on you just now and that's over and it's in the past or it would be past tense. When God highly favors you, this grace is not something that stops. Isn't that amazing when you really start thinking? Because here's the deal. I don't know if you realize this, but do you guys realize that you're highly favored too? Because the Bible says that God doesn't have what? Favorites. He's not playing favorites here. So you're all highly favored. So when I start thinking about God's favor in my life, how he bestows grace, how many of you have experienced the grace of God in your life? Right? So when you start thinking about the grace of God, you're highly favored. And what this means is this grace that God has given you is still coming into your life. So it's a past action. God has given you grace, but it's still coming. It has results that keep going. And this passive voice means this. You can't bless yourself. You can't favor yourself. Someone else has to give the favor to you. So it means this. God is the one giving you favor. He's the one who's granting you grace. And participle 
is a verbal adjective. This is where English grammar would have helped me a lot. Verbs is an action. It's verbal. It's an action. An adjective is something that describes the noun. Mary is known by others by being favored by God. So what happens is the way that God is blessing her and giving grace in her life, other people are seeing it. Wouldn't it be amazing if every Christian who truly followed the Lord, that other people would see how God favors them, how God has granted them grace, and that you would be known by the grace God gives you. Come on, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if people knew you by the grace God gave you? See, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with what God has done in your life. And because he's giving you grace every moment of every day, people take notice of that. I'm so thankful for the grace that God's given me. Think about it. If God hasn't given you grace, you're on a, you have a one-way one ticket to hell. The wages of sin is death, but the gift... The gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. It's grace. See, when we have Christmas presents, if any of you parents here, grandparents have kids around, make sure that you explain to them they didn't earn that present and they didn't deserve it. This is a great lesson. When you start having, is there any coffee in that? Nope, it's empty. Kids. All right. Man, I was like, hey. Squirreled out. Sorry. I saw coffee. So, when you, when, you're, when you have all these kids at your house for Christmas, what a great opportunity to take one of those presents and talk about grace. Because isn't that what it is? It's a free, unearned, undeserved gift. It's a gift. Wouldn't that be amazing to teach our kids? The, and, and here's what's so funny is we've turned Christmas into more about presents than we made it about Jesus. Haven't we? You know, we, we've talked about this month being praise giving, right? Where we sacrificially give above and beyond to bless our ministries of the church because historically, the giving of the month every December is the lowest giving churches across the board. When it really should be our biggest. December should be the month that blows all the other months out of the water. It shouldn't even be close. But because we get ourselves wrapped up in so many other things that we turn Christmas not into Jesus. I was kind of amazed at how many churches closed down on Christmas Day. I'm sitting here like people were asking me, Daniel, are we going to do? Why wouldn't we? Like, wouldn't this be the day above all days? This and Easter, wouldn't Christmas Day be the day that you show up to give God some praise? Thank you for the greatest gift we've ever gotten. <laughs> in our pajamas? Come on! <laughs> so. All right, well, let's get back to our story. So in verse 29, Luke 1, 29, Mary was greatly troubled at these words. She wondered what kind of greeting. I mean, if you had an angel show up, you would want to know, what's going on here? You know, what's being, like, there's, there's a reason for this. She wondered what kind of a greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Okay. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. 
He will be great. Hmm. Isn't he? Isn't he great? I mean, we're reading this, and this was, this was happening real time for, for Mary. You know, she's, she's, she's experiencing an angel showing up. I mean, if an angel shows up, an angel doesn't show up to say, hey, let's hang out. I mean, you know, if an angel shows up, probably coming with an assignment. When she says that she's troubled, she's like, oh, what do you want me to do? <laughs> what, uh, what's, what's the expectation here? And so, he will be great and will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his, of his father David and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's why we're sitting here today is because his kingdom didn't die with him. His kingdom is forever. Not just a part-time kingdom. He's not a part-time king. He's the king above all kings. So, in Matthew chapter 1, the same, same angel shows up and talks to Joseph. And, and I don't have this up on the slide, but I, I want to I let you know. So, the, what the angel Gabriel's telling her said, hey, this is going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be on the throne of David. He's going to reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom's never going to end. The angel told Joseph, but after this, he had considered his angel. This is Matthew 1.20, if you want to check me later. And, and the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because here's the deal. They're engaged to be married and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right? So an angel shows up and said, because Joseph was like, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and end this. This engagement, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna call it good and I'm going to move on. But he's, the angel tells him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When you start thinking about all that, all that happened, all, all, of this, all of these things that were said about Jesus, I started writing them down, and not just there, but also from Isaiah, where, where, we're, where we're told about the coming of the, 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 the Son. And so I'm, I'm looking here. I think all these slides got jumbled up together. But anyways, I'm just going to keep scrolling down. It's got to be, there we go. We're getting close. All right, I'm going to leave it there. So here's the things that we know that God, Jesus was going to be called. He will be called great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will have the throne of David. He will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. Six, Holy One, Son of God, He will save people from their sins. Nine, there we go, called Emmanuel. Ten, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, no end to the greatness and peace that He will establish and uphold righteousness and justice. When you start thinking about everything that Jesus is called, all of these were said about Him before He ever became them. And then everybody got to experience the Jesus and said, oh yeah, that's him. 
That's Emmanuel. That's, that's the Son of God. That's the Son of Man. He's, he's a mighty God. He's, he's a wonderful counselor. When you started thinking about all the things that Jesus is, and a name means something. What he was called meant something. In fact, he even said things about himself. He goes, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Jesus constantly made statements of who he is. But we still struggle with that. We still struggle with, we, we hear it, but we struggle with belief, don't we? Are we really any different than the disciples? Didn't the disciples constantly struggle in Jesus? How many times did he have to say, where's your faith? Oh, you of little faith. They were nicknamed Little Faith, and yet they saw all these miracles of Jesus. And I think that we all struggle the same way. I think we still struggle today answering this question from the Truth Project. It says this, do you really believe what you say you believe is really real? I'm going to say it again. Do you really believe what you say you believe is really real? So in our story, Psalm 134, Mary says this. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Here's the question. How can this be? He's saying, listen, you're going to have a child. This child is going to be called Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to rule. His kingdom is never going to end. And she says, how can this be? That's the question. How can this be? Now remember, all the way through this month, we continue to come back. You cannot operate beyond the measure of faith you possess. What she knew about God was what she was able to operate with. In Mary's life, she probably had not yet seen a lot of miracles. Because Jesus hasn't been here. They haven't seen the healings of Jesus. They haven't seen all of these things. This is before. This is gonna, this is, he's going to do all of these things. And can you imagine being there in that moment? You're seeing an angel, a real life angel. The angel's telling you what's going to happen. And you're sitting here with all these questions. How can this be? Because I don't want this to be like, hey, Mary really messed up here. and She has no faith. What I'm saying is, man, how many of us are still kind of like that? We struggle, with, we struggle with the same thing. See, Mary's not questioning Jesus. She's not even questioning God. She's questioning how she fits into this. Have you ever questioned that in your own life? Oh, Jesus, I know. God, I know. How many of you know that God split the Red Sea? And I mean, you would bank your life on it. God split the Red Sea. I know he split the Red Sea, but I don't know if he'll split the Red Sea for me. Isn't that kind of really where we're at? I know you'll do it. I know you'll heal. I know you'll split the sea. I know that you can walk on dry ground. I know that you can walk on water, but I don't know that you're going to do that for me. That's kind of where we really struggle is that we don't question God as much as we question ourselves. <laughs> I started thinking a lot about that. We don't question his ability. We don't question his power. 
I know he can, but I don't know if he will. Right? I know he can, but I don't know if he will. And then we add the little key phrase, I don't know if he will for me. Right? This comes from insecurity, doesn't it? Isn't that what that is? It's insecurity. Insecurity comes from a lack of identity. Insecurity comes from a, maybe it's self-loathing or self-hatred or, or, or just that uh, I don't love myself. But I want you to think about this. It comes from deep at its core, a lack of identity. I don't know who I am. But I need you to hear me. Knowing who you are is less important than knowing who God is. Because when you know who God is, you'll know who you are. Right? So I'm not telling you that having an identity is, 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 is not important. It is super important. But I'm wanting you to understand is that when I really figure out who God is, He tells me who I am. I'm a child of God. I am dearly loved. I was predestined. He has a plan for me. He has a future for me. He has, he has, he has chosen me. See, God chose you out of the darkness and called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. See, that's God. He's done all of this for you. Think about it. How many of you have been pulled out of darkness? Right? See, when I start realizing who he is and what he's done, it begins to tell me who I am. See, the angel ends up answering her. There we go. Okay. The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Then he explains, Now indeed, for more proof, of course, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and is now in the sixth month and her for, uh, for her who was called barren. So here's a woman who was unable to have children. All of a sudden he's like, listen, if you need more proof, you need more evidence, your cousin is having a child. And it's said of her that she can't have children. She's having one anyways. If you want to know who Elizabeth's child was, it's John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. Isn't that cool? Some of you might not have known that, but now you do. See, here's the thing. The angel's not even done. <laughs> so he's telling her, she goes, how can this be? He answers the question, this is how it's going to be. Then the angel says this, for with God, nothing is impossible. Come on now. This verse, with God, nothing will be impossible, is the Christmas story. The virgin birth is not impossible because it's coming from God. Salvation for you is not impossible because it's coming from God. Healing is not impossible because God can do the impossible. I can't. He can. God can. You see? With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. 
You think, one of the things that I always found so hard about the Christmas time is preaching on the virgin birth because it's impossible, right? It's so hard to preach on because why? It's impossible. There's only one person ever recorded to do it and her name is Mary. (laughs) Right? I mean, you know, if somebody said, hey, Daniel, I need you to sit down and talk to somebody who doesn't believe in God, I don't start with the story of Mary. Why? Because it's impossible. Anybody with a logical brain says that's not possible. And that's the point. That's the whole point. God can do whatever God wants to do. Nothing is impossible for the king above all kings. And I love how she responds. With God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said this. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. She's saying, behold me, right here. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. Have you ever thought about what God wants to do in your life? See, we, we, we look at Mary as if no one could ever, like God can't use anyone else. And Mary was, was um, you know, uh, uh, like almost, and even some religions have placed her almost like she's a God. She's not. She's a human being, fully man, zero part God. Jesus was fully man, fully God. Yeah, no one's going to be like Jesus. He's the only one. He's a one of a kind. But here's the deal. God wants to use you. To make a difference in his kingdom. He's the king of kings and he wants to use you. When's the last time we said, God, use me. See, here's Mary. She could say, you know what, uh, angel, I am just not ready for this. Right? How about this? When I, when I say, hey guys, anybody want to help you know, do some, some door-to-door ministry? Anybody want to share the gospel? Oh, pastor, I'm just not ready for that. I don't know enough yet right I don't I I, I'm not ready right and we always we have all these here's the thing do you know that she was a teenager can you imagine being a teenager and an angel showing up and saying to you as a teenager you are going to raise the son of God any parents sitting there like ooh? Can you imagine trying to give Jesus a bath when he's walking on the water? (laughs) Jesus, stop it! Or then he sinks down in the water splits and he's like, I can do this all day, Mom. I mean, come on. (laughs) On a serious note, the responsibility that would come raising the Son of God, and then we talk about, hey, I'm not ready to share my faith. Right? Guys, what I hope will happen when we cross over into this new year, that we'll stop making excuses why I can't, and we'll just say, start, start saying to God, let it be. 
God, however you want to use me, let it be. God, you want me to, to go across and invite my neighbor to church, let it be. God, I'm going to invite them. Now, I'm not, not going to just invite them to church. I'm going to invite them over to my house. God, I'm going to share my faith. God, I'm going to, you know, God, whatever you want. I want you to hear me. Jesus would talk often about what it would, the cost of being a disciple. And here's what he said. Whoever desires to save his life. How many of you desire to have your life saved? right? We desire to have, so this is what Jesus says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Oh, whoa, hold on. I didn't sign up for that. Isn't that what we do, God? I want to I want my life saved, and I don't want to change nothing. God says, hey, whoever wants to save his life's going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, when we stop making it about me and we make it just about him, God, whatever you want to do in my life, do it. However you want to use me. What if God, what if God asks of us to die early? Hmm? My son did. And I thought, you know, I always used all those scriptures. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I need to make sure my faith's ready, and I gotta get, I gotta get my faith because God can heal, and you, you're you're healed by your faith. And and I was wanting to to figure out how to use those scriptures to just strong arm God. God, you said in your word. I mean, I, you know, like, who am I to tell God what's in His own word, right? Boy, you better believe a father was trying. You said in your word, Lord. I'm holding you to it. But see, Malachi had his own life. And his life that he surrendered to God, he allowed God to do whatever God wanted to do in his life. What if God were to ask you to die well? Think about that. What if God said, I need you to die well? And what I mean by that is that what I want more than anything else is that when I die and I'm standing before God, the one thing, the only thing I really desire to hear more than anything else is, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all I want to hear. If I hear that, that's better than any gold crown or rubies or any kind of, of treasure. That would be the treasure. Well done, my son. Well done. So when I think about living, I want to live well. I want to suffer well, and I want to die well. So what if God says, I need you to lay down your life early? Am I going to kick and scream? Am I going to throw a fit? Am I going to play the victim card? Oh, feel sorry for me. Oh, feel sorry for me. Or am I going to say, you know what, God? It's your life. I already gave it to you. Do whatever you want. Have we ever thought about how often we fight God? after we already gave him our life? Or did I give it at all? Did I really give my life? Did I say, God, it's yours? Let it be due to me whatever you want. If it's to develop sickness and die, I will die well. I'm going to die for your name. God, if you have me live here 150 years, oh, I don't want to be here that long, but God, I will, every day that I'm here, I'm going to be about you and your kingdom. See, I think a lot of times we still think that it's all about me. 
It's all about my little kingdom. There is a king. There is a kingdom. I'm not him, and it's not my kingdom. So I want to ask you today, seriously, would you consider being like Mary this year and saying, God, let it be. Use me. And if it's not going to go the way that I would like it to go, because, I mean, nobody wants sickness. Nobody wants suffering. Nobody wants to lose it all. Nobody wants that. But, God, if that's what you choose for me, I'm in. God, whatever you want, do it. Are you ready to lay your life down like that? God, whatever you want, whatever you want from me, take it. you would bow your heads and we always have altar time as we're preparing our hearts as we're preparing to to leave these doors here today and we're preparing to go into this holiday season my question to you is Is there anything inside of you that you're still holding back from Him? God, you can have everything but this. God, you can have everything. As a parent, I remember when Malachi got sick. God, you can have anything but Him. You can kill me. You can take my life. I'll gladly trade places. You can have anything. But I had to learn a lesson that even my children and my spouse I had to give to God. God took me through a long process of figuring out the little things that in my life that I was still holding back from Him. And so my question to you is, is there anything that you're still holding on to that's saying, God, you can have anything but this. This is mine. And I'm asking, give it to Him. Maybe you're trying to hold on to your marriage and you're trying to fix it. Maybe you're holding on to your kids and you're not even willing to give God your kids. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's an it's a, it's a unforgiveness. I'm not going to I'll forgive anybody but this person. Maybe it's that. I don't know. But I'm asking you, is there anything in your life right now you're saying, God, I will not give you this. A lot of times, the first step of salvation is this. God, here's my life. I give my life to you. And we don't even know what it means yet. God, I'll figure this out as we go, but whatever I have is yours. God, whatever you want to do in me this year, do it. Let it be. Let it be. Guys, if there's any of you that want to lay some things down if there's anything that you're holding on and you want to give to God I'm just the altar's open we're going to take a little bit of time to pray we're going to then pray over the food and we're going to let everybody go out and eat and and have a great time of fellowship but before we go do that let's make sure that whatever God wants to do in your heart we do now if there's something that God wants to do in your heart do it The altar is open.